dangerously close. This episode was brought to you by William Mitchell Audio. I want to tell you a little story. A story about a boy. Now this boy, he was on the wrong track. And all he wanted to do was ride around on his moped and steal money out of ATM machines with his calculator and hang out with his friend who had a crazy mullet and he used to wear a jean jacket with the sleeves cut off. I'm telling you, this kid was on the wrong track. Not only that, the police were after him and they were coming to the arcade trying to find him all the time. And I'll say one thing about his friend with the mullet and the jean vest. He didn't snitch. Anyway, thanks to William Mitchell Audio, this kid grew up to be the leader of the human resistance against the machines. After Skynet became conscious and Judgment Day happened, well, it looked like the humans weren't going to make it. But this boy, with the help of William Mitchell Audio, he, he took control and he led the humans almost to victory. But at the same time, simultaneously, 30 years in the past, he got a little help from another little friend named William Mitchell Audio, who helped him to destroy the liquid metal Terminator and end Judgment Day and therefore change the outcome of the future. And that little boy, that little boy was me. Go to williammitchellaudio.com. My guest today is Stephanie Joukowsky. She's currently Vulcan Lieutenant Tavine on Star Trek Picard. She is also best known for her roles as the bald badass alter ego Hammerhead on HBO Max's Doom Patrol and Stone Cold Killer Bex Dawson on the reboot of MacGruber on NBC Peacock. Her guest starring role as China on the NBC comedy Young Rock starring Dwayne Johnson and the Postmaster and 20th Century Studios feature film The Call of the Wild. I could go on and on and on with these roles, but I'm going to stop there and then say that she has also proven an inspiration and advocate for breast cancer awareness, having personally battled with not one, but three types of unrelated cancer. A cancer long hauler, she has endured through a thyroid removal, six chemo sessions, a double mastectomy, and 25 sessions of radiation for what she calls her cancer trifecta. To deal with a roller coaster reality, Tchaikovsky and her husband chronicled her house, sorry, her health journey on their humorous yet honest podcast, Chemo Skinny, which they are turning into a movie. What's up, Stephanie? Yeah. Hey, Doug. I almost read your introduction all the way through, but I, then I said house instead of health. You know what? House <laughs> is actually semi-appropriate because while I was going through chemo, while I was going through all these treatments, we which was probably a really stupid idea. And now in retrospect, probably was good because it probably kept our marriage together. Um, we bought a house in Palm Springs because um, I was like, I don't know if I'm going to like, not to bring this down and it's not down. I'm I'm oh, yeah. stable and healthy and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, but we we were like, renov like renovating and getting a house ready in Palm Springs to do an Airbnb. But I was also in the back of my brain, like, if this goes wrong, I want to be, I'm like, I want to be sipping a margarita by a pool in Palm Springs next to aging drag queens and Canadians rather yeah. than in my rent control department in LA. Yeah. <laughs> Keeping it real. <laughs> yeah. Um, man, I was actually just, so just like just reading your introduction and I was just kind of, there was something, it's hard to not notice that you had uh, major roles with uh, DC WWE, 
and Star Trek in a row. So I was just kind of curious, uh, were you going for like a beloved franchise hat trick or was that more just like just kind of an organic occurrence or it it was a it, it's like a comedy of errors a little bit. No, it's it's it was a, just a spoil of riches. Like it was so, so weird because like the DC thing came um, Doom Patrol came and it came really synchronous. It was such synchronicity because it came when I was finishing up chemo. So I had no hair and I had decided to get a bald headshot because I was like, I don't know. Let's see what happens. <laughs> and I end up going in for this role called Hammerhead, which I think, you know, physically I would have gone in because of stature and whatnot. But I think it just helps solidify like me as that character. And then like everything else kind of came from it. You know, the 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 China thing was semi out of the blue a little bit and yeah. also i look like this like i have short blonde hair right now and i remember um i have a friend who's a manager who shot me the breakdown and was like hey they're looking for china remember when you used to get because when i was younger people at, i've actually had actually dudes at a gym be like are you part of the wwe like they would oh, like yeah. hit on me because <laughs> i was i'm 510 and i've always been i always call myself farmstrong I'm from the midwest i've always been broad I've always had muscles and um my choice rather than trying to be Hollywood skinny um which is a non non-starter for me in the sense of like not to get all body imagey but I'm like I'm just not built that way like I am built of hardy farm stock I am you know Polish Hungarian German like put me in a field and I can like I can go for days I can pull shit for days right so when this came down because I used to have long hair, but I was like, oh, maybe and we told my agent manager and I went out and bought a wig for the audition because I could conceive of how people could see my stature, even though I do not have the full, you know, musculature that China had, which very few people do. Yeah, but she was, but, I would, but like, she was just, yeah, she was just incredible. And, you know, maybe she was on roids, maybe she was not, but whatever. But like it took, I put a wig on, like I had to put a wig on because yeah. it was, I, I didn't want, I wanted to like take any, you know, whatever out of it. But yes, to your point, I'm just like, oh my God, now I'm just like, and now I'm a little greedy because now I'm like, now I want to like yeah. click the Marvel and <laughs> click that, you know, like I had a Marvel audition, I think a year ago, like, which are all top secret and I didn't obviously get it, but you know, yeah, but, you know, it's out there. So I'm hoping, I'm hoping. That is super cool. How, yeah, like. The organic, like, yeah, you just got out of chemo and then you had yeah. your, like, you immediately, they had a role. They're like, this person doesn't have hair, also. And then, yeah. I mean, also the China thing, I was, I obviously, I follow you on social media. So yeah. I watched uh, your videos on the transformation because you have really, really talented uh, people in makeup and, oh, God, yeah. And hair. Yeah. And so you did become her. It was really, really impressive. So yeah. definitely. Well, thank you. Thank so, you. So yeah. Shout I mean, out to the people that do, uh, Hair and makeup, like make, people, yeah. I feel often that, you know, it's always like, yeah, we get to, you know, as actors, we get to like walk the carpet and be like, I'm in this, but the amount of people it takes to create anything, like any, like stuff that's amazing, you're just like, holy shit. But just to get anything made is so hard. And when you have really, really good craftsmen doing their work, yeah. it's phenomenal. Like I'm in constant awe of the talent that I get to work with and who gets to like put things on my face and stuff. Like I'm always just like, Jesus Christ, dude. Like it's, it's, I feel really lucky to be around those people because what they do is phenomenal. You also uh, must feel pretty lucky too when you're on set of uh, Star Trek because you're a Vulcan, which must yeah. be one of the most mellow of 
I mean, if, if you're a, if you're an alien species, obviously, if you're just a yeah. human, it's yeah. no big deal. But yeah. to, you know, if you're going to be an alien, Vulcan has got to be for hair and makeup. Like you picked the long straw because some of the, like some of the other ones you must like, those people must sit in chairs. I don't mean it must be their whole day just to get. Oh yeah. Like Klingons, like I, <laughs> I'm not sure how long Dorn's makeup has taken, but it's taken like, they've gotten it down to a system, I think, but yeah. for a long time, it used to take hours upon hours. I actually remarkably, my makeup and hair was about, it's somewhere between like, it's, it's been so long. I don't remember anymore. You know, it, it feels like it's been so long ago, but you know, my hair grew back. My hair was growing back. So like I would come in, we'd have a half hour. I would get shaven down by um, my barber, my barber, my barber friend. Like I'd go <laughs> yeah. and they like shave me all the way down. And then I'd go to makeup and then we would do the eyebrows because that I think is my big mistake. My makeup ended up being about, I think sometimes two hours because we had to put, we put silicone patches over my eyebrows yeah. and then put the Vulcan eyebrows over. And then you've got to paint everything to match. Yeah. So it's like, it's for it to look as good as it does. It takes like a lot longer than pe people think, but I got to say what's nice about it. Having done other prosthetics is the prosthetics that I did have you know, some prosthetics you put on your face, like I was in MacGruber and like, I, I, you know, play bad, I play a, you know, killer and yeah. I had my face burned off and they put this thing on that's like me and my melted face and you don't realize how it impedes your ability to move your face and expression. So it changes what you do and how you have to do it. And, you know, just Vulcan ears is, you know, basically the big thing is my ears stick out a little bit. We had to pull them back just a little bit because when we first put them on, I look like Dobby, the house elf. Yeah. Like, it's, like at some point I'll drop those pictures because like, it's, they're literally like, wah, wah, wah. like I'm ready to play an elf any day of the week. But this is a completely just out of the blue question that yeah. I hadn't even thought of until right now, but is there any kind of connection between when you played Hammerhead to uh, playing uh, Lieutenant uh, Tavine? Like, is that, were they just like, this person has a really like well-shaped skull? For a bald character <laughs> like no you know it's you know it's funny about it is i had i had come back from working on mcgruber i had hair it was a little bit shorter than this um and i had some auditions and i had actually two auditions and my agents had used the same picture and i was kind of like they were like i wasn't sure that this was picard and there was another role that was really specific that i was like i look very different without any hair you know, I, you really like me with hair. And at the time, it's part of the reason it's how I kind of went blonde, but my hair was dark and I look really different when it's dark. So I had shaved it because they were interested in this as a look maybe. Yeah. And then I auditioned, I ended up booking Picard. I ended up going in and trying on, like they had, they had Vulcan wigs for me to try on. So we tried on the wigs when I was doing my costume fitting and my hair and makeup fitting, or I was like my makeup, my ear fitting, we tried on my ears. Um, and before I left, I went down, uh, they called and said, hey, Terry wants to talk to you. And Terry's a showrunner. And I hadn't met him before. And someone's like, oh, aren't you a friend of his? I'm like, no, I, I've never met him. And I was so kind of, is that thing of like, this is the showrunner, they're the big deal. And you're kind of nervous because you're like, and he's just so chill, like, hey, man, what's up, blah, blah, blah. And yeah. I was like, so much, thank you so much. Like, because you just want to be like, I'm so glad to be here, blah, blah, blah. And he was just super chill and was like, so, uh, Vulcan, hair, bald Vulcans, have there been bald Vulcans? What do you think? And I'm like, well, I don't know. I'm like, do I get to choose? I'm not. 
And do I get to choose? And he's like, yeah, let's talk about it. Like, yeah. think about it for a couple of days. Do you want to be bald? Do you not? We could do hair. Like we've got these hairs. And so I went away and, you know, did a deep dive in the, the first deep dive into memory alpha, et cetera, to go looking for bald Vulcans in Trek canon or in Trek movies. And there's, and there are some, and they tend to be older. I mean, Vulcans yeah. are supposed to live anywhere to like, they can live like 200 years or something. But the the bald Vulcans you see, except for, you know, two packets of, like you see men with shaved heads. You don't see women. And yeah. we had determined she was a woman. Um, but, you know, we, the only real bald, bald was I saw Ilya. And so I came back and I was like, well, there are, and we're looking at, you know, the year 2,500. So why not? Yeah. And then I had also asked like, well, and also, you know, it's been long enough. What if, you know, if she's bald, what if there's a little Dalton in her? Like what happens if this doesn't necessarily play into what we're doing this season as far as Tavine's concerned, but yeah. as an actor person, I'm like, how can we make it even more interesting? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, yeah. and, and for me, I was like, well, how do you feel about what if, you know, it was also kind of a little cover, I think. Like, you know, it's, if people are like, there's not bold Vulcans. And you're like, well, she's part Dalton, man. Yeah. Like it, it gives you cover, <laughs> but it also adds interest to, you know, for me to, dive deeper into that character. So we just came ab- upon it by looking at what was already established, if it would be feasible. And then I was like, yeah, let's, I think we should do it. And he was like, yeah, let's do it. And it really is like, I remember walking on set and Jonathan Ricks being like, oh yeah. Like, it's just a really striking, you know, I found, I do, I am lucky enough. Thank you, mom and dad to have a really good shaped like noggin. My noggin's pretty yeah. good. And so to be able to utilize that and also in that way, it's just, it's just an interesting, it was a really striking look. So I was like, yeah, let's do it, man. So that's kind of how it all transpired as it were. That's cool. So yeah, I've just, I was, I had no idea that that wasn't, um, the character hadn't already been kind of set that way. And they were like, yeah, let's no. find someone yeah. who's going to look good bald. That was just, that's, yeah. all right, yeah. that's cool. That's all. Actually, you kind of touched on this just a moment ago, just talking about like Star Trek canon. And I did want mm-hmm. to get into the fandoms of all the, some of the roles you would, we had just discussed. And I was thinking like DC, WWE, Star Trek, they all have really distinct fandoms, but obviously yes, there's going to be some overlap, of course. Mm-hmm. Do you ever think there's probably some people that Doom Patrol was their favorite comic book, China was their favorite wrestler, and yeah. like Next Gen was their favorite Star Trek? And you single-handedly like made all their minds explode, like like statistically. <laughs> yeah, I've I've like I've run across the you know I've run across a, like kind of cro- streams that do cross. It seems to be a no. There's a couple. It's weird. It's not a convergence of all three because I feel like the world would explode. Yeah. Um, but there has been like some crossover of DC Star Trek. There's been some crossover WWE Star Trek. Like it's there's been crossovers. But that not, it doesn't thus far, thus far. I mean, the world is a giant place. So who yeah. knows? Um, of all three at the same time, of all three at the same time. So it'll be, it'll be interesting because each of them have their own, you know, they are their own fandoms. They're very vocal. Like in a lot of ways, I was, I was really apprehensive, not apprehensive, but I was really, really mindful when I rolled into playing China or yeah. trying to embody her that I tried to do her justice. And there was, you know, and like the first thing I thought, because, you know, 
Twitter can be a very, very brutal place. Oh, yeah. And, you know, and oh, yeah. there's and there's <laughs> been, you know, and there's been a lot of chit chat that I saw about, you know, Young Rock and who they've chosen chosen to play different people. And I'm like, I'm like, you know, and but then there's, you know, and it's and, it, and there's both sides of the coin. Right. Yeah. Because you want people who can do the work if you're going to have them wrestle, but you also want people who can act and they aren't always the same people. And, you know, and the thing about it is, it's like even with like no one seemed to have a big issue with my playing China, which was good. Um, but I was well aware that I'm like, look, I am not as big as she is. Like I had four days. This was a four day turnaround. It was not going to happen. Yeah. Um, which I'm like, had I had like months, I would have been like, ah! you know, I was yeah. there <laughs> with them. But also I think it's important. I think as actors and I think it's important to find their essence, to try not to imitate them, but to find the thing that makes them unique and try to embody it to the best of your ability. And part of the thing that made that a lovely thing for me, which I was not ready for, is once we had done the makeup and the hair, and I went out, my first my first scene was that up was that low blow, was the ladder, the ladder match. And they were shooting live in um in the basketball um arena um in uh in Memphis. And so you walk in and you walk through and there are all of these live fans who are both extras and actual fans of wrestling. And they see me and they're like, oh, are you like they're yelling at me like, China. Yeah. and I was like, and you kind of get that feel of it. That's wild. It, it's like, it's like being like in the real experience. It's of the actual so surreal WWE. and so wonderful and exhausting. And also yeah. just being like, oh yeah, man, this is really you really feel the love they have for her. And yeah. so that was that was really informative because it made me feel good about the fact that what we were representing, at least as you looked at me, felt like China. And then Marty, who plays, who's one of our um, stunt coordinators, is also a wrestler and worked with Joni. And he came up to me at one point and said, dude, out of the corner of my eye, I saw you. And I so thought it was Joni. And I was like, Yes. Because when that happens, you're like, okay, we're creating a little bit of magic, even if it's a microcosm in this larger thing. Because at the end of the day, you know, it's like, at the end of the day, it's like, it's about the rock. Like, it's not about China. It's about the rock. So you want to be that part of it in the same way that like, Tavine is a Vulcan. It's it's called Star Trek Picard. It's like, she's on the bridge and we're going to try and fill that as much, but let's not lose sight of what the narrative is and what story we're trying to tell you know what i mean i really like what you said too about like you know bringing the essence of the person if you had had months if you had spent if you had had six months to power lift and yeah. just you know just slam protein and take creatine and power lift yeah. and just get as huge as you could like but it, if you didn't go in with the, you know trying to bring the essence of that person then it yeah. wouldn't you know it, the magic wouldn't be there so it's really it is like and i think that's as the audience you can feel that like when you're, you know, when you really are channeling that essence, that's where the yeah. magic is. The magic is in like feeling like you're seeing the person, not just something superficial. Does yeah. Well, and I feel like, you know, the thing about it is, is I, um, my friend uh, on that show, my friend Kiff plays Pat Patterson and he's been on it for since the first season. And we played husband and wife on a show called the, a kid's show called the Thundermans years ago. And we had a long conversation about that because not only are you playing this iconic person in the WWE world, but you're also playing someone in my case, you're playing someone beloved who has passed away. Yeah. So in addition to that, you were also, not only are you dealing with the fact that 
you know, she's like, she is the ninth wonder of the world. She's iconic. But when people die, there's a certain thing that happens. Like even people, you know, like I remember my husband being like, you know, just because someone dies doesn't make them a saint, but there is a reverence that happens because you know, you no longer get to see them again. And so that there's an expectation there. And, you know, there's a lot of stuff that goes along with that. And, you know, I was just kind of like, well, I'm here. It's do it. Let's just go. Like, let's go. And I think, you know, I'm, I keep crossing my fingers that they'll get a fourth season because I think it's a fun show. And I also would love to go back and actually do some more wrestling. Part of me is like, come oh, yeah. on, I want to do some more wrestling. <laughs> so did you uh, did you work with choreographers, wrestlers, that kind of stuff, just to get the vibe to be? To, no, you to... know, what's interesting is I watched and watched and watched the 1998 ladder match. I watched WrestleMania over, it was, or SummerSlam. I watched SummerSlam over and over and over again. And it's specifically for her, her stature in that, in that, um, in that match, in terms of how she kind of, kind of prowled a little bit outside of, you know, the ring. And also just because it was still, it was still early in her career. She was basically, you know, Triple H's bodyguard as it were. So how she carried herself was, I'm an enforcer. It was like this idea of an enforcer. And it changed a little bit as she started to have the light shine on her a little bit more. So I watched that. I um, I watched the documentaries. I watched interviews with her. Um, I absorbed as much stuff as I could. Like it was a binge. There's a new, um, there's a new 30 minute um, biography on her that I want to watch that just came out. But I think it was, I don't know if it's vice, but they had some really good, you know, documentaries about her and I just dug into as much stuff as I could find before I got to set. So it was like three straight days in between going to in between going to Raceline of just absorbing as much as I could about her and hoping that that would help like sink into my body. Yeah. Um, when we got to the wrestling match, they're like, they were so funny. They're like, oh, you'll be fine. You can do it. And I was like, <laughs> um, I've never. And they're like, just do this. And like, yeah. I got some, I got some, I got some color. I actually cut my nickel cut my knuckle on the um on the ladder but i was like bonafide now man yeah, yeah. bonafide you go you so, shed, shed some blood in the ring yeah shed some blood yeah so it was yeah it was mostly like asking them how do i get in the ring and stuff and it was pretty much done right as we were shooting like because they had been rehearsing it and part of me is like don't i go to rehearsal and they're like you'll be fine i'm like okay great <laughs> I'm a fan. I'm a fan of like, I'm, I like a little rehearsal. I like, especially with physical stuff like that, but you know, I pulled it off. So it's fine. It's fine. Speaking of uh, being a fan of rehearsal or just, ah, that's a dumb segue. I just wanted, I had another fan yeah, question and yeah. I totally understand that. I know these are both, uh, these are very passionate groups of fans. So yeah. feel free to qu- answer this question any way you want. Uh, but I was just curious if, you know, just with like your experience, you've, you've met so many of these people, you know, and I was wondering, uh, who parties harder, like uh, WWE fans or Trekkies? I mean, I've had more experience with WWE fans thus far. Like I'm yeah. just coming into um, the, you know, the Trek fans. I'm getting, I, I had kind of my debut. I'm like a debutante. Yeah. Um, it'll be interesting to find out because I'm actually going to WrestleMania, my first WrestleMania um, in April. Oh, that's so cool. Uh, on April 1st. Yeah. Um, so I have a tendency to think. I, I tend to lean into WWE fans being harder partiers in different ways. Like, yeah. I feel like, I feel like WWE fans do a lot more shots. 
Like I think, okay. like I think we like some shots on fire. I think, whereas I think Star Trek fans, I think there's a lot more. I think there's a lot more cocktail culture going on a little bit. Like I, I think you know, I think it goes back and forth. I think I'm always kind of like, what do they order? I used to work in a dive bar in New York, and I'm always like. I feel like Star Trek fans have a specific thing. They like, they know what they drink and they drink like hard shit. Like they'll drink like scotch or a rusty nail or whatever. And I feel like my WWE fans are like, you know, give me a Paps Blue Ribbon and a shot of Jack and we're good to go. So like, you know, which I frankly, (laughs) both of those things. So I'm fully okay with it. (laughs) I think uh, people that are not sci-fi fans that, you know, wouldn't traditionally go to a sci-fi convention of some sort or a Star Trek convention or Dragon Con, any of these kind of things. Yeah. I think oftentimes would be very surprised uh, at the party culture and the level of it, though, because like, oh, I'm sure there are definitely the Trekkies are throwing down. You can go to some of these things where it's like, you know, a lot of times when it's like the whole an entire hotel that's been. Oh, yeah. out, And there's a keg party on every floor. So yeah. well, it's like the like... tales of the Munchkin. Like it's the tale of like uh, everyone from Munchkin land all like when they were shooting. Um, there's this infamous tale about when they were shooting wizard of oz because munchkin land there had never been so many um smaller people together like um you know and it was the first time there were that many people together and it was like there was some hotel and i think north hollywood and it was like orgy central they were like drunk and they were just like fucking like they'd had the best time first of all that's amazing i can't believe yeah. i've never heard that story because yeah it's a good that is story one of the coolest stories out of <laughs> wizard of oz that i've ever heard and i kind of lost my train of thought oh i was, was just gonna say i was well, you know, party's harder right we were, yeah. we were talking about the, the hard partying and yes i agree with you so much on like a lot of that but also i was just thinking with like when i was thinking wwe i was thinking like at the events and i feel like a yeah. lot of a lot of people there are dads you yeah. know dads and moms yeah. but like a lot of dads that I think are probably maybe ordering a couple beers and then trying to like, you know, set a good example. <laughs> so, yeah. so I wonder if the, if the party actually gets toned down a little bit just because. Probably. I mean, you know, my, the biggest WWE fan I know is an eight-year-old boy yeah. who is just like, <laughs> and he's just discovered it. And it's so interesting to see because I remember like the, the onset, the early onset of WWE and like, then when raw was really like hot and heavy, like, and so it's funny to see newer generations and how it's still going. Like, you know, in the same, but in, in the same way that these, like that things are cyclical and they attract new fans, you know, because, you know, when I think of the original series, when I think of Captain Kirk, I think of my dad and that's how, that was my entree. Yeah. But like, I don't think of people, you know, I don't think of kids now being like, oh yeah, I'm watching the original series and being like brought in, but everybody's brought in in different ways, depending upon who they're around, you know? And so it just... It's just really interesting. And it's also so cool to see people who have this interest in this thing while being very different people. Like it's it's that commonality that I think about all of these things that make them really, really beautiful. And actually, you know what? I want to go back and uh, just add a little caveat to something I just said, because I feel like I was speaking from my own experience in my own childhood when I said, when I said dad's. And all that, and I realized, you know, that's things were a lot different in the nineties and, yeah. and it, and wrestling was a lot more, it was just directed at boys. So like, yeah. and, oh, but, yeah. that, but I mean, I know that things like, obviously times are changing, they're changing for the better. And there are right. so many more like, uh, girls into wrestling. And so obviously, yeah. so me doing the whole, making that about making that male, that yeah. was, un, that was an unintentional kind of like, uh, 
from my from my own childhood thing and yeah. so i just like to go back and uh, no just like, be like here's the thing you're just like hey i realized that just came out because of my experience it's yeah. fine <laughs> like you know well and it's and it is like when i when i think about stuff like that and i think about china like to the point that point you know china being the first female we saw but also her like entry song was like not quite a man not quite a woman like I was having a conversation with some, a friend of mine. And I was like, you know, when you really think about it, cause people were like, I don't even know what to do with this because she's strong, like a man, like, like, but strong, like our ideas of what these things should be. And I'm like, yeah. you know, and he, like, and as we're starting to talk about like gender roles and by like gender roles in so society and binaries and like what, you know, is traditionally these things, they're all getting blurred and they were already getting blurred there. It's just, I think where people are finding comfort in when they're not, but it's, you know, it's, it's all of these things that exist for us to, you know, to expand, hopefully expand ourselves a little bit, push us gently out of our comfort zone and realize that, you know, we're all just people trying to figure it the fuck out. You know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we are all only human and we're just doing yeah. our best. We're just trying to figure it the fuck out. Everybody's just trying to figure it the fuck out. Hold up, it's time for an announcement. You know what I love? If you answered James Cameron's 1986 cinematic masterpiece Aliens, starring Sigourney Weaver and Bill Paxton, you're technically correct, but you're wrong in this context. What I was going to say is what I really love is having the energy and motivation to be productive all day, especially without the anxiety and edginess I get from too many energy drinks. So, I've been drinking a shot of Magic Mind in the mornings before me and my dog go outside to pee and bark at the neighbors. Well, my dog does that. I mostly just supervise. And, thanks to these little green shots, I'm already in the right state of mind for a productive day. And I feel better in the mornings and more chill throughout the day, thanks to the adaptogens that boost my mood and help me relax. And, you know, I've already got my Twitter feed to stress me out and raise my blood pressure, so I shouldn't really add a bunch of Red Bulls to that. That's the great thing about the ingredients in Magic Mind, like matcha. Matcha contains way less caffeine than coffee and also contains additional compounds called catechins that extend the benefits of caffeine by slowing your body's ability to absorb it, as well as a compound called L-theanine that reduces stress. It also has one of my favorite nootropics, lion's mane mushrooms, which reduces anxiety and inflammation while also supporting cognition by preventing neural degeneration and stimulating neural regeneration. And cordyceps mushrooms, an adaptogen that reduces inflammation, strengthens your immune system, and supports higher energy levels and physical endurance by ramping up the production of ADP in your mitochondria. So I totally recommend you go to magicmind.co forward slash myviewsaremyown and get up to 56% off your order using promo code myviews. And I'm not saying there's not a time and place for Red Bull. If I'm ever at a bar in New Jersey and DJ Pauly D from Jersey Shore walks up and offers to buy me a vodka Red Bull or a Jaeger bomb, of course I'm going to accept. I know how to act in polite society. So anyway, that's magicmind.co forward slash own promo code myviews. And now back to the interview. Speaking of two, you're saying like your dad, was he kind of got you into Star Trek when you were a kid? You said, yeah, like, yeah. Like, um, my dad around. was... A fan of the original series and like as as the story goes it's actually what i told terry when i first saw him is my dad was getting he went to night school he was getting his um college degree um in night school and he used to watch 
the syndication on weekends of Star Trek. He would do his homework. He was in mechanical engineering. He'd do his homework on this green sofa in our living room. And I just remember my brother and I playing, like sitting and watching it with him. Um, and then later him taking us to the movies. Like I, I, I'm pretty sure it was one of the first movies I went to, went to see. I mean, I don't remember in a theater. Yeah. Like I remember him bringing us in, but we were so young that, you know, it was like three, four, like when, when it opened. And I remember my brother, like walking around in diapers, like up and down and you had to catch <laughs> him. Cause, um, but yeah, like it was, so it was that. And then he was also a TNG fan. He, he was a huge Worf fan. He loved, he loved the Klingons and he loved Worf. He loved Michael Dorn. You know, I have this, I have this infamous story. He, my father passed away in 2017. And a couple of years before that, I had started doing what everyone apparently on TikTok is doing now. Um, and I was thrifting. I was flipping th- thrift stuff from the thrift, thrift store. Yeah. And he would come to visit and we would go and bike rides or whatever. And I, and he always was amazed that I could find stuff and then resell it and make more money. Cause it kind of blew his mind. Like, why would someone pay more money? And I'm like, okay, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and I took him to this, this um, Goodwill. It was an outlet. And so like Goodwill is, is an, is not a non-for-profit. And basically if stuff doesn't sell, they end up taking it to these outlets where you can buy it by the pound. You just scoop it up and you weigh it. Oh yeah. So I brought him to the store. He's going through it. He's looking through it. He's like a, he's like a six, three and he's like 250 pounds, like stocky, like I said, stocky Midwestern guy, big belly. And he finds in this, in this bin, a large, a, a stand size, a Stanley Tchaikovsky size linen, Emporio Armani jacket and I was like dude it's Emporio Armani put it on and he put it on and it fit him perfectly but had this stain on the sleeve he's like well I don't know and I was like dad it's gonna cost you like two dollars like you know like (laughs) you know how much this jacket is like it's a nice jacket and you know we're talking about a man who had retired to Vegas and his entire wardrobe was mostly jogging pants jorts and like short sleeve button down flame shorts like that's that was his aesthetic he sounds like a really really cool guy he's pretty fun we take it home and he tries it on he's showing my husband and he reaches inside the inside pocket and on the inside pocket is a piece of paper and when we get auditions it comes through an email and oftentimes if we're going to go to to um, a casting office we print it out says the project says the agency says our name and in that pocket was an audition call, a casting call from Michael Dorn. Oh my It was God. Michael Dorn's fucking jacket. So this man, uh. this 67-year-old <laughs> man is like, ooh, ooh. like if he yeah. could clutch pearls, he'd be clutching pearls. Wow. He's so excited. Wow. So we managed to get the stains out. We dry cleaner gets them out, takes it back to Vegas with him. And he's on Match.com because he's also a single guy. He's he and my, my mom divorced. And he's going out with women. And he's he's asking, he's like going out with them. And he's like, do you know Michael Dorn? Worf from Star Trek? <laughs> this was his jacket. That is And wild. if they're not impressed, then it's like a check up the box. So he wears this jacket everywhere. My brother turns 40 years old and we have a surprise party. And my father flies back into the Midwest where, you know, I got to high school where my brother lives and where he had worked until he had retired 
before he had retired and moved to uh, Vegas. And it's five degrees out, but that motherfucker wears the wharf jacket. He wears a linen jacket with a blue shirt to this Christmas party so he can be like this with Michael Dorn's jacket. Like it gave him such joy. And, uh, you know, he passed away and he was cremated because my brothers and I talked about it. Like when we're going through stuff, we're like, well, if he had been in a casket, he would have been buried in the Michael Dorn jacket. Yeah. But, you know, it's it's uh, amongst, you know, we have his, some of his flame shirts, but it is the one thing like the one of, of the items of clothing we kept. We kept that jacket. So when I booked this job and I found out Michael was going to be on set, I was like, we were in it for a while. And the guy and Hugo, who does my makeup, also does Michael's makeup. And I was like, I have to tell him this story. And they and prosthetics trailers like, oh, my God, you have to tell him this story. Now, I told him that story and then told him my dad died. So. You, you always want to start with like my, you know, my recently deceased father. Otherwise, otherwise, it's a happy story that just like it just brings yeah. it brings it down. <laughs> so I told him a story and I just, you know, Michael was on set like I kept missing him and. There was never a time that was right to, you know, so I just waited. And at the premiere, I went up to him at the after party and we were just talking. And I was like, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, Michael, I have to tell you a story. I will try to keep it as, you know, short as possible. And I tell him this whole story in a very rapid, well, I was, I had a little, I had a couple of drinks. So it seemed like I was very conservative with my word usage because I wanted to, you know, keep it. Yeah. And he was like, do you have a picture of that jacket? And I was like, I do. And I show him the picture of my dad. And Michael goes, he looks at the jacket. He's like, I remember that jacket. That was a good jacket. He's like, I used to, he's like, I used to be a bigger guy and I bought all my stuff. I'm like, I know. And I'm like, here's the thing. You are a bigger guy, but I will tell you, we still have that jacket. So if you ever want it back, it's there. It's stains gone. Oh, wow. <laughs> he was just, oh. he was just lovely. It was just, it was such a lovely story to be able to relate. And so, yeah. you know, and so when I booked this gig, it was such a, like in its own right, like my father was very rational. Um, he was a mechanical engineer. When I decided I wanted to be an actor, he was not particularly excited about that. I think mostly from a logical and fiscal perspective, because you're just like, how are you? Uh, like, you know, up until he passed away, I, you know, I also teach, I've taught fitness classes for um, gyms for years. And he was still like, when I actually made money doing it, when I actually got my first job, he was kind of like, oh, okay. But he would also, he'd always be like, don't you want to be a manager at the gym? Like yeah. it was so important to him that, you know, it, that my life and my job had security, whatever that meant to him. Yeah. And so I think, I think he would have been pretty thrilled to, to see this happen. So you, one might say a Vulcan sensibility. <laughs> very, oh, very much. You know, it, it's it's very like, you know, the thing about, you, as you step away from things and especially in this, la as like this onslaught I've said of like, like this weirdness of like, you know, the, the, the hat trick, you know, the triple is all of these jobs have come. And when you're working on them, you realize that the re, not that they come for that reason, but there's a part of yourself that you get to explore or, you know, in this, this, this journey, like this Star Trek journey is kind of an homage to both my parents and like the duality, like it on a deeper level. Like I realized that, but I realized that afterwards, like when yeah. you're like starting to talk about, oh, blah, 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 what you did. And you're like, 
oh, that's why I did it. Interesting. Because it has that connection, you know? I I love stories that where there's a through line and it's just one like kind of happy accident after another. Cause like, obviously, I mean, taking him to like a, uh, a thrift dig world is, for, that is a place he would never go to where he yeah. discovers a jacket that he would totally wear that fits him. He puts right. it on, it belonged to Michael Dorn. And then just a short couple of years later, you are face to face with him yeah. and you could d- share the story. And I, I do want to say one thing too. I, I have a cousin who is a, a veteran thrift flipper like she is okay yeah she's been doing this since way before there was tiktok and she's yeah she's a pro and i've i've seen her pull some amazing treasures some things like uh like a a lamp that looked like some just any old piece of trash lamp actually ended up being created by some famous designer right outrageous she paid like two bucks for it it was worth is worth worth absurd you know all that stuff but i will say that uh your story of the jacket that is the best thrift store treasure story I have ever heard. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank <laughs> you. Yeah. I, it's funny. Cause like, I, I, I'm like, I have a bone to pick. I've never done it. Like I'm on TikTok now a lot. Like, and I've never done one of those. What, what do they call them? Where you, you like react to the person. Cause part of me is like, oh, I've done one maybe, but I'm also like, unless you're like amplifying them and saying, yeah, like tearing them down just seems like, mm, I don't have time to put that kind of energy out in the world, yeah. but Whenever I see the videos, I'm like, let's go to, you know, let's go to the Goodwill and look at on eBay. It's this much money. And I'm like, bitch, it may be listed on eBay for that much money, but you have to go to the part where you find out how much it's sold for because you can list it for a million dollars. It doesn't mean you're going to make that. Yeah. And that's always like my thing where I'm like, "Mm, you're leaving out a part, you know, whatever. With your permission, I'd like to go into just a little bit of like a little bit of Star Trek philosophy, if that's sure, sure. some of my favorite things about Star Trek are the philosophical ideals uh, that it implies, you know, within kind of like the strict parameters uh, yeah. that, you know, that are necessary to make a television show. You know, that's, right. there's a lot, it's, but I feel, you know, it's the kind of the thing, like sometimes you can make the most incredible art when you have to make it inside of a box and that's exactly, it makes I you think, be, makes you be a lot more creative. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and this was also, this ties into the things you're talking about with, uh, with your dad the original Star Trek and Kirk and all that. And I was just wondering, do you think that the modern Star Trek still carries the, uh, the utopian ideals of the original show in, in the way that kind of people in the, in the sixties, how they saw it that way? I think that there is an, a utopian ideal. However, I think it, I think it reflects where we are as humanity because Gene Roddenberry was always really good. You know, when we look at, you know, the history of Vulcans and you know why they have they're keeping everything in because they almost destroyed one another because they were so fiery and angry, right? Yeah. And then you look at the Deltans who are very, you know, sensual, like, and they kind of break down into like classic, like these are feminine traits, these are masculine, like, but it explores all these traits and how we interact with people who are different than ourselves. Um, and I also think at that point in history. We were looking and he was looking to create something that reflected how we could come together. Because if I'm not mistaken, historically, like we had been through, was it Vietnam? Like, were we through Vietnam or? We were still in Vietnam. We were still in Vietnam. When when Star Trek first started, Vietnam was still. Was still uh, going. Yeah. Okay. But because I've read uh, different things of like, well, Gene thought this and, but I think everybody changes as they go. So my historical reference is wrong. Sorry about that. Um, But I think 
modern Trek. And also it depends on who it's coming from, right? Yeah. Because I don't want to disparage anything that's happening. Cause like the recent cancellation of Discovery, I was I watched a little bit of Discovery. It wasn't my show per se. Mm-hmm. But I know a lot of people who loved that you got to see a very, very diverse crew in a way that you didn't see them before. And it's brought people in who weren't into track. Yeah. Now you also see people who are like, that's not what Trek's supposed to be. And I kind of look at it from the standpoint that, and I think it's illustrated in this season. And I like, I, I feel like, oh my God, she's just, you know, going out and talking about how she much she loves this. And it's not <laughs> true. She's just in it. And that's not wrong. Like, and that's actually wrong because I do find, I do have a very, very deep, appreciation and love for this particular season with this particular cast because there is a little bit more conflict than we used to see in Roddenberry's Star Trek like it was kind of like oh we do this and everything's fine yeah and you see conflict between people and I think if we're going to reflect humanity which is what Gene and Gene always did or was trying to do on a larger scale instead of doing it from a place where you're trying to bright light it or um where you're trying to you know kind of happy or positive kind of happy wash it that's a terrible way of saying that no that makes that makes sense to me you know it's if you get into the meat of it and you start to talk a little bit more about or illustrate a little bit more i guess how the sausage is made as it were if we're starting to talk to these things that affect people in the same way i think that's still in the same aim as he set out to have that kind of utopia because I think everything is based on finding balance, happiness, and love, right? And I think that in doing that, you serve your viewers, you serve story by allowing people to be vulnerable, allowing them to be a little messy because the world's a little messy. And I feel like, especially as social media has expanded as we see more of the world in an in a instantaneous way yeah that to try to hold to what was done in the 60s would read false i think it's i think it's when it comes to film and television why it's really hard to do why we're not seeing as many um sitcoms like sitcoms in the same way because things need to change a little bit because we change because we evolve. So I think, I think we're trying to evolve. I think Star Trek is trying to evolve with people, but also I, I don't know if I think in certain respects, it's kind of trying to find out where that balance is a little bit. Yeah. Cause like, I feel like there's some treks that got really dark. Like I love what strange new worlds is just doing like, you know, in kind of being, kind of retro and embracing it but also adding some new stuff in there you know so I think I think there's room in lots of places and I think the aim is always what he had envisioned because at the end of the day Roddenberry's get to be like nope sorry like they get to sign off right so you try to do what you can with what you have and also in a way to affect the most people and so I think that yes, that yes, we are trying, we, I think Trek is trying to do what it's always done, but it may not resonate with people in the same way. And it also may be trying to find where that lives 
in, you know, 2022, the world. And that's a very different place than, you know, the 60s and what we could be exposed to all at one time. Actually, that's exactly what I wanted to ask you next was um, when I was kind of getting prepared to uh, talk to you about this and so much Star Trek stuff, I just want I just went back and just read some of the things that Gene Roddenberry had written about like about his philosophy or what he thought mm-hmm. what he thought Star Trek had contributed to the world. To the world. And these are all so I, I pulled just a couple quotes out. Sure. I, ha- I have my own interpretations of them. And of course. I thought, but they're you know, they're old quotes. These are these are the things he's talking about. He's talking about the original Star Trek and what that meant back then. And there's been so much that has changed. Obviously, right. the next generation in the nineties and all, you know, and, and now Picard in when it's 2023 2022 or yeah 2023 yeah yeah and so uh but if you don't mind like i was just thought maybe we could just i could yeah dish it let's go and then you could just tell me like your take on it and how you think that applies to to the modern world and if and if gene roddenberry's like some of his some of his utopian some of it if some of it still rings true is i guess what i or what you think he might mean uh well here's the first one that i had pulled out and he wrote that uh star trek was an attempt to say that Humanity will reach maturity and wisdom on the day that it begins not just to tolerate, but to take a special delight in differences in ideas and differences in life forms. To me, the first thing that that resonated for me was just thinking about people uh, treating other life forms on this planet with the amount of respect they deserve. And I think that he's absolutely right in that because I, you know, as, as we're starting to see and as we're starting to see how fractured people are. When it comes to things that, in my estimation, just don't fucking matter, dude. But is also, it's people trying to find stability and sense in a world that doesn't make sense. So I understand it because there's such a deep fear there. And I think, like, I think what the pandemic did in particular is it threw everybody off their axis because suddenly you're like, wait a minute, I have no control. And everybody wants a sense of control over their life. I can say that going through three cancers was just like, no, bitch, you're just on the ride. But there is an utter delight in opening up yourself to things that you didn't know. Like it's, I, I personally feel that a curiosity towards learning towards other people is a thing that brings joy. And I think where we get stymied is that people feel like, or they've been, raised to believe that they should know the answers. And I think the older you get, if you're open to things, you realize like the older you get, like they say experts, there's that, what is it? Um, Dunning-Kruger, you get to a, a tipping point where you know so much about something, you realize how much you don't know. Yeah. And I feel like there should be a little bit of peace in that because if everyone was just like, oh, okay, not, we don't know everything, but like there, I just feel like right now, we have so much like, well, no, it should be this. And and so it's creating a lot more conflict than I think needs to be. I think Gene's absolutely right. Like if everyone could just like take a chill pill and just recognize that just because something isn't like you doesn't mean it's good or bad. It just is, you know, I think he's totally, I think he's hundred percent still on that one. Yeah. And when you brought up Dunning-Kruger too, that is probably one of the worst things we face on a mass scale is so many people who don't know shit about anything that are yeah. convinced that they are experts on I know. everything. It's yeah. <laughs> well, it's, you know, it's, it's watching, you know, it's, I, I've, I literally have, a, I literally have a friend who's a spinning instructor with me 
who is an infectious disease expert, like helped develop PrEP for HIV and was very instrumental in working on the Moderna vaccine. So it was so interesting to watch everybody I know deal with it in different ways. And then I would go to him because I'm like, look, man, you've been like, you've devoted your life to studying infectious disease. It's science. Things are going to change, but I'm going to trust you because I feel like you know what the fuck you're talking about. Like, I'm just, I'm willing to do, I am willing to give credence to people who have spent their lives invested in something. I mean, because if like, part of me is like, if you don't a little bit, I'm like, ugh, that means the burden is on you to know everything. And God, how exhausting must that be? You know? I want to agree with so much of what you said, but I have to go back one to like, probably the, out of everything you just said, probably the thing that you just was, were just mentioning. But uh, I just wanted to say, I was actually, I was a spin instructor for like 10 years. Oh my God, really? Yeah. So it was just funny when you said that you were a spin instructor and you had a friend that was doing that. I was like, oh yeah, that was actually, a, I had that job for 10 years. Oh my God. What, 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 what was your favorite thing? What was your favorite song to play on your playlist? Um, can it be a cool down song? Yeah, totally. When I first started teaching spin, like Skrillex was really, really big. And oh, okay. I had scary monsters and nice sprites that I would play. Like nice. I'd play all that shit, you know, like, you know, during the class. But then at the end, there's a song oh, I'm have I'm blanking on the name of it, but it's the last song on the album. And I think it's called uh, with your friends. And okay. I, just, I don't know. That's probably my favorite. And then also uh, power glide. That's okay. a good song. Uh, I'm like power glided. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna tap you. I'm gonna like gonna send you an email just to remind me. If you have a Spotify, so I can slide I, those I, into my playlist. I literally still have a bunch of my spin Spotify playlists still in my like phone. I will so go look probably... for you on Spotify because I'm like, <laughs> sometimes having to make a new playlist. I'm like, ugh. My students are very tired of hearing Unstoppable right now. My last <laughs> job teaching spin was two years ago. Uh, it was right before the pandemic. It was literally the yeah. year before. And yeah. The gym that I was I was working at uh, one of the places I was working was World Gym and oh, yeah. on the and it was a perfect bike ride from my house. I would uh I would make the class on my actual bike on the way there. So I love I, it. So I'd make the playlist and then I'd ride my bike there and decide what the class was. And then when I got there, I was pumped. And I usually would teach about three classes. So nice. The great thing about that too is I was in really 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 good shape. And then yeah, I mean that is that is the best job hazard. Like. <laughs> I'm running. I'm in cardiovascular health. Like, yeah. you know, it's, yeah, it's, it's an, it's a nice, it is definitely a nice part. People are always like, well, you work out. I'm like, yeah, sometimes, and sometimes it's too much. Sometimes too much <laughs> of something is too much. Yeah. Can we, can we do one more, another one more? Yeah, yeah. I was like, uh, so go back to the Roddenberry, back to the Roddenberry. Yeah, yeah sorry. Fun. No, I just, I had to bond with you over a job. Okay. No, that's totally fun. Uh, you know why? Because we are people in the world and we're yeah. allowed to do that. Yeah, exactly. And this is probably what I think the point of this one is. Uh, he wrote, if we cannot learn to actually enjoy these small differences, to take a positive delight in those small differences between our own kind here on this planet, then we do not deserve to go out into space and meet the diversity that is all that is almost certainly out there. It does. It does ring pretty true. But I mean, we're going to do that anyway. It's going to see the thing about it is I I agree with that. But I also feel like. We. I, I'm, on the, I'm on the, this is one of my favorite things is two things can be true at the same time. Yeah. Like, I think he's absolutely right. But I also think right now we have people like Jeff Bezos, like trying to go to space to go meet aliens. And like, and, and that's me being, you know, judgy over the fact that Jeff Bezos could change everyone's fucking life. Like yeah. many people's fucking lives with this, the simplest of actions, which as someone who doesn't have 
that kind of funding, like, I'm always just like, why would you not do that? Like, part of me is like, why would you not do that, man? Like, why would you not just like, because you, if you have the capacity to do that, but that, you know, everybody's different. So I think, I think it's both true and not true because it can be, you know, oh, this is a fully different species. So we should treat them with blah, 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 because they're fully different while at the same time, you know, ignoring like our neighbors. So it's, you know. Yeah. First of all, I, I agree with you 100% on Jeff Bezos or that or the guy that owns Virgin. I can never remember his name, but also oh, Richard Branson. Yeah, but uh, Elon gets a lot of protection from his fans, but I feel like he's such a prime example of this because he wants to go to Mars. He wants to do all the stuff, but at the same time, he's here on Earth. And in a lot of ways, he's really propping up these people that would dismiss everyone else and, you know, just and say, hey, you're woke and therefore you're you're not yeah. valid you know and it's the thing is like do you want to be do you want to travel the stars or do you want to sit here and argue and be into you know do this racism and fascism and this bullshit yeah and so i feel well, like it's... he's a great example of like why don't you just pick one I don't... yeah well i think i think there comes a point like there was a there was a podcast i think it was um i'm trying to remember which one it was it was was it the human brain or something there was there's a podcast I heard years ago about, and they interviewed somebody who was a money manager, a personal money manager for the Uber, Uber wealthy. And they were talking about why the Uber, Uber wealthy think they're so different than everybody else. And like, just like the psychology of what they had to do to be that assistant and be there. And there is a sense of, there is a sense of them. And like, there is a sense apparently that like those people don't exist. The world I live in is the world that is made up of all these people. And it's all about competing with them. And that's such an interesting, like, I'm like, how do you get, are you born into that? Is like, does wealth give you that? I mean, I think a lot of things give you that. Cause like, it's easy to, you know, I can say like, I was talking to a friend of mine from high school and I was like, you know, it's been really interesting to talk to people on podcasts and be interviewed and walk the red carpet. This is kind of my first ex experience in doing that and how, you know, it's so nice to have people tell you they really like you and what, but how easy it is to fall into that being your reality, the more it's there, you know what yeah. I mean? And so I wonder what makes people that way a little bit, you know? Yeah. I, yeah, I, guess, I, really I guess like, I mean, there's probably a certain isolation that comes with being that incredibly rich. You know, oh yeah. You're just separated from everyone. You're, you're not around normal people anymore. And then you start yeah. to think that you're superior because the money may, you know, cause you can buy anything. And you right. Well, and then people, and then people aren't going to argue with you because you can pay them and you can like, you know, it's that thing of who are the people telling, you no? is anybody telling, you no? and probably yeah. not. Because you don't need to hear that. <laughs> so. I guess in Elon's case, I do. I did like the fact that he bought Twitter and then in real time allowed basically the entire public to let them know what they thought about him. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> so it was like, anything quite like that. Um, so, okay. Just huge, huge turn uh, from Star Trek. As much yeah, as I would no, love no. to. Uh, I just want to ask, this is just about your podcast, uh, Chemo Skinny. Yeah. And yeah. just uh, that I said early in the in the beginning in your introduction that you're turning into a movie. And I was just wondering if you could tell me a little bit about how that project got started, uh, and just like you know the journey you got to get to write to write here 
maybe like kind of what your vision is for the film. So I know, I know that's like three questions in one. Yeah, no, no, it's okay. So um, the kind of truncated version of the how the podcast existed. The easy answer is COVID. Um, now we had we had gone through this. I had gone through this onslaught um, from 2018 to 2019, where I got three different cancers, like one after the other after the other. Yeah. And we caught them early. Thankfully, I I had you know writers. I had very good insurance. Like we were. I was very, very fortunate in the amount of privilege I was in order to be treated in the way I was and how fast we dealt with everything. So for us, what became kind of the focus in addition to me, you know, me not dying, which is, you know, one of those things is when we got to the end of it, like throughout it, I just started writing a blog and I had my husband write a blog as well. So we started this blog that was talking about what we were going through partially because I wanted to give everybody information, but I didn't want to have to repeat the story over and over again. Yeah. So I felt like if I created something that could be dispersed to the people I wanted to tell and other people who are interested, like, because you have your close friend group and you also have people, you know, and it expands from, you know, from there or whatever. I just felt like being open about it would make life a little bit easier in terms of what I had to carry. But also I found that because of where I'd come from, my dad had died the year before, my uncle had died, a good friend had died. Like it was death, 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 and then an onslaught of cancer. So it was my life was like kind of like emotionally. And I was like, all right, well, this will give me an outlet because there's a chance I'll never work and I need something to invest this in. So we did that. And the response to it was really positive in the sense that my husband calls me the cancer whisperer. Like people would, who had already gone through it, would come up to me and be like, I know what you're talking about. I've never told anybody because it's something that is a weird thing to tell people because it triggers them. It makes them feel strange. It, you don't want people thinking of you as being less than what you are. They don't, you know, there are all these things that go along with it. Right. And so when the pandemic happened, because we were already through, like through the treatment part of it, and we were basically in remission, like we're on drugs and like you are basically seeing if something pops up again. So you're kind of in a weird holding pattern, but everything's mostly done. We had the opportunity to step back a little bit and look at like specifically the breast cancer journey as it were. And so what we did is we went back and we did where it started and we broke it down into like a 30 minute podcast of, you know, what happened, how we felt at the time and now having some distance what we wish we would have known, hoping that we could tell people or put it out there. So if someone was going through it, it wouldn't always just be medical stuff. Because what happens is you get onslaughted with all the things that are going to happen medically, but no one talks to you about quality of life and what the fuck happens with your partner. And the fact that like, you know, these drugs like kill your sex drive and how like, and you know, does your partner want to have intimacy? Like it's, it's a lot of stuff that kind of blows up the middle of a relationship and no one ever talks about it. Yeah. So while we were going through it, my husband is a writer and he is a comedy writer, generally dark, dark comedy. And he had his way of dealing with it was to do a pilot for, for like a series for a very short, like single camera, like limited run series talking about this group of friends and the shit that, and basically the bomb that gets thrown in the center of it, which happens to be the cancer. 
but to talk about it not so much in the way that we see narratives about cancer being because most of the narratives about cancer are she has cancer will she die will she like it's always these big it is it is always life and death but again we are it doesn't seem that we look at people with cancer as being actual people and so like we had done that we'd actually pitched it it was it was with vice for a little while and then like the pandemic fully rolled in and no one wanted i know it's a shocking thing no one wanted to buy a you know a half hour comedy about cancer yeah. while people were dying of this this disease we knew nothing about right so in the midst of that my you know Colin and I were like well maybe we make it a film maybe we just you know shorten it and we turn it into a film and then try to go and get funding for it he had done an independent film he's canadian i'm technically canadian you can get money through there so we started that process we have some producers and so basically it's, it is that story. It's about, you know, a couple who are kind of have been together for a while. They're going through normal stuff and she gets a breast cancer diagnosis and you go through it with them. Um, it kind of has, it kind of feels a little bit like the big sick, um, but it's basically, it's, it's a relationship romantic comedy about like what happens when, you know, we always talk about like what happens when a baby blows up your life or this blows up your life. Well, what happens when, a cancer diagnosis blows up your life. And, and we focus and the focus is not on focus. The disease is there, but it, the focus isn't about the disease. It's like, okay, well, how are we dealing with it? And when it's over, then, then what, like, what are we doing as a, you know, what are we doing as a couple? So, you know, and it, it has, you know, funny anecdotes from our, you know, our actual story, like, you know, the fact that there was a dog in my pre-op room, um, which was charming. <laughs> Um, just like weird, you know, kind of stuff like that. So, like, you know, a, um, what, like, uh, what are they called? A service like, dog. Like a, a dog that's supposed to make you feel good. Like, yeah, I think so. It didn't make me feel good at all. Oh, okay. I was like, dogs <laughs> belong in places. This is not one of them. Yeah. This is not one of them. So yeah. So it's it's an interest and it's an interesting thing too because we I don't know if it's interesting because eh, but we as people we me and my husband and our friends we tend to give each other a lot of shit, right? We tend to like, you know, we talk about stuff and we forget when we're not around our friends and my husband will be like, well, when you die and I get a boat, I'm like, that's right. Like we'll give each other that kind of shit and we have that kind of relationship. And, you know, these characters are loosely based on us. And so it's, it's an interesting thing to send the script out because it's gotten really good response from actors. And, but when you're going to money people, it's still about cancer. And if someone has gone through cancer, their world and their response to you is colored by their experience with that. Yeah. And, you know, and we've, you know, we've gotten feedback where we've gotten feedback, like, do these people even like each other? They talk to each other. Like, so, and I'm like, yeah, because their, their way of showing love is different than other people's. So, so it's a kind of a work in progress. Like, you know, we're the last couple of years I've been busier with other stuff. He's been busy with other stuff. So it's been a, passion project pick up put down situation and you know I, I feel like I feel like we will if it's meant to be a story that's shared on a larger scale in that way we will meet the people we're supposed to do you know you just keep yeah. you just keep talking about it and hoping and hoping that it's something that would resonate with people because here's the thing it is not going to be everybody's cancer story like and that's the thing like it's it's about these people, but there are commonalities and that's what we wanted to talk about. 
So that's, you know, and that's not everyone's love language, like you were saying earlier. No, oh, exactly not. Yeah, I mean, there's gonna, you know, I mean, they're undoubtedly, I mean, we've tendered up their relationship, like, but I mean, it is like getting a thing back and being like, you know, he's not doing enough for her. And he's like, and I'm just like, oh God, <laughs> because everybody has an opinion about what should happen, you know? Yeah. And we kind of wanted to try and maybe speak to that, but. And maybe it'll work. Maybe it won't. Maybe it'll, I mean, you know. I think it, I think it would have been cool to do something with Vice, but I think it sounds a lot cooler to do this in film yeah. format. And yeah. You know, in- so, you know, so we'll, so I don't know. We'll see. You know, I just, I kind of feel like cancer in particular, because diagnostics and um, diagnostics and medicine is getting so good at detecting. We're not necessarily great at curing, although we're getting a lot closer with a lot of things. Um that we're going to find that there are a lot more people living chronically with cancer. Like I am a person who is going to be living chronically with cancer. Technically I have cancer, everything's stable, but it could pop up again. I'm in very good health. I teach classes, but you know, and it's different, it's different narratives about what used to be only a death sentence. And I think it's important to start talking about stuff like that because more people are going through it. And in the same way, we're starting to talk about mental health. I think that the more we normalize things that are uncomfortable, the easier we start to, I think the conversations become a little easier. And so the burden is not as hard. And also, you know, maybe we start helping people and we start as as a collective on a larger scale and, you know, insurance companies, governments, I don't know, I can't get into that bullshit, but like, (laughs) but, you know, but just also just starting to find the places where we can actually acknowledge one another's let's go back to Gene Roddenberry acknowledge one another's differences but also find the commonalities and work together for the common good you know yeah I love it I love I mean this the whole idea sounds fantastic I've got to tell you something yeah we're getting dangerously close to the lightning round oh Um, so I have to tell you how the the lightning round works this is the part yes please where I ask you questions super fast and no time to think you have to go completely with gut reactions this is not okay. a cerebral intellectual uh oh, exercise God. this is totally please just... don't be star trek trivia i will fail miserably it's probably. not star trek trivia but it is uh working within the world in the parameters of, okay all right of, all right of, uh well just of, of, of imagination this okay, is okay cool yeah that, that's is, fine basically it's what what you would do with a holodeck based on the prompts that i give you oh okay. you want, are you ready to start yeah i have a feeling you're gonna win okay <laughs> All right. The first one is, if you could turn any board game into a three-dimensional holodeck experience, what game would you play on the holodeck? Oh, Mousetrap. Oh, my God. I can't believe you said Mousetrap. That's the game I would have said. And then also, co-producer Colleen was with me when I was uh, putting a a lightning round together, and she yelled out Mousetrap. Because that basket, all you can think is that, but like, how much fun would it be? Like, it would be like an adventure game, right? I think, I think we were all affected too by like the commercials from when we were kids because they they always showed Mousetrap as basically something that would be a holodeck type game because like you could run around in it. Okay. That blew my mind. So I'm, I'm uh, I'm gonna go ahead and say that answer is correct. Excellent. Excellent. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Here's a good uh, question. For an actor, if you could reenact any movie on the holodeck, which movie would you reenact? Oh, Star Wars. Star Wars? The original? Uh, 
No, I would do the fighting scene between in Empire Strikes Back between um Luke and um Darth Vader, but I'd be Luke. Okay, that'd be awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I just cross-pollinated, but oh you know. Oh well that's it's a holodeck. You can do anything you want. I know, you I just, know. You just program it in. Okay. This one is gonna get this is a really t- I feel like this might be the toughest one. Uh, but it's just really, you know, it's whatever you think, and it's a gut reaction answer. I know. Would you rather have a three-week vacation in Cancun, all expenses paid, just totally kicking it back, or a three-day vacation on the holodeck? Holodeck. Hell yeah. Duh. Yeah. <laughs> I've been to Cancun. I, yeah. Like, I've been to Cancun. It's fine. It's, yeah. it's fine. I just, my 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 most, my, my, my biggest memory of that is the Papa John's pizza kids on their bikes going back and forth. Yeah. I, and my brother buying Papa John's pizzas. <laughs> I've never been, been to Cancun. It just kind of popped in my head as like a, a vacay spot. But I was just thinking, I don't know, maybe I went like a little low on how long that vacation was. I was like, I was like three weeks. I think maybe yeah. for a lot of people, like a three week vacation sounds so much better than three day, but it's the holiday. Yeah. I mean, holodeck, man, you can do anything. One day would be a lifetime's worth of vacation. I know. Okay. Here's a pretty gnarly one. If mm-hmm. you could use the holodeck to take any band members from any bands, and put them together to create a virtual supergroup. What band would you create? Oh my god, that's so hard, and I I'm so bad at music stuff. But I'm gonna go Janis Joplin. Um, I'm gonna pull Janis Joplin, and I'm gonna play pull the backing. I'm gonna pull the Stones with her, but not Mick Jagger. But then I'm gonna <laughs> throw um Paul McCartney in there. I'm just gonna do that. Okay, and it's, so it's gonna you, be what he sings so, with her or something. Uh, well, I I think that um well I have the Stones and I have Paul McCartney right so um yeah they'll do duets I think it's gonna they're gonna trade on and off actually trade on and off okay so you'd have Keith Richards, Janis yeah. Joplin, Paul McCartney yeah. and I cannot yeah. think of the name of the drummer of the Rolling Stones I know That's... me neither I'm like yeah sorry dude if you're listening okay yeah I know <laughs> um so this wasn't part of the question but what would you name the band Red Wings okay. <laughs> I'm just taking it off of wing, like Paul McCartney and like wings. Was that it's whatever? Yeah. Okay. Last one. <laughs> I failed that one. You can fail me on that one. No, you were totally you still have an A. Uh, okay. If I was use... adequate. I think it was adequate. I think that's like a B. Anyway, go on. <laughs> okay. Maybe not the best band name, but good band. Okay. Uh if you could use the holodeck to recreate any historical moment and participate in it. Oh. Which historical moment would you pick? This is really cr- creepy and gross, I guess. But I would love to be at the Salem Witch Trials. Yeah, that'd be wild. What, uh, yeah. Would you just like be one of the mob or? No, I think I'd be like one of the witches. Like, I'd, yeah, but like not on the stake. Like I'd be in and around. Like if we were like, like it's weird because you can't be like, it's this particular day. So that's, we're we're looking at like a period of time, I guess, yeah. then an actual like event like the you know boston tea party but yeah yeah it's no like, i think it'd be really interesting to do that it would be like and also it would be like the ai of the holodeck would be recreating it based on what it how it understands history exactly and exactly. also i'm i'm unclear on whether or not you can feel pain on the holodeck like i don't actually know if that's i don't know that i cannot answer that so um well hey guys if you're listening and you know the answer i would hope so but you know me, shoot me a dm stephanie i have one last question to ask you and it's the most important question okay. uh just uh where can people uh find you listen to your podcast check out your shows and just like all the amazing stuff you're doing how can people check out everything that you do 
Um, easiest tags to get me at I'm Ski Says, S-K-I-S-A-Y-S. On Twitter, at that's my handle on Twitter. It's my handle on Instagram. Um, if you can spell my entire last name, I have a website that you can go and like see stuff. And the um, podcast is called Chemo Skinny. You can get it on all the places you get podcasts. Awesome. And yeah, I guess uh, if you can't, if you don't know how to spell their last name, it will be in the show description. So yeah, very easy to find. Cut and paste. I mean, copy exactly. Paste. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, <laughs> like C Z A J K O W S K I. And it, yeah, Stephanie, thank you so much for being here. This has been great. Uh, thanks for having me, Doug. I really appreciate it. It was what a fun, what a fun, little, what a fun way to spend a, in a couple hours in the afternoon. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>